Well, welcome to another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. I'm your host, Dan Walls, and I'm so glad that you can join me for another episode of this podcast as we seek to unearth key virtues and themes around life and around leadership. And we do so once again by looking through the lens of Australian basketball and diving into some of the stories, the history of the sport in this country. And with me on the podcast today is NBL Hall of Famer, Cal Bruton. And if you have been around the sport for a while in this country, you will know the name Cal Bruton. His name is synonymous with Australian basketball in this country. And it's a great honor to have him on the podcast here today. Uh, Cal's been a championship winner with the Brisbane Bullets back in 1985. He's a member. Of, he's, been, he's a two-time member of the NBL First Team. He's won a championship, the very first championship with the Perth, Perth Wildcats in the season 1990. He's a former coach of the year. He's done so much in the sport. And to top it off, he received the honour of being an, of receiving an Order of Australia uh, award uh, just recently uh, for his work in the community, particularly around. Uh, and within communities in the Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander communities. So it's a great honour once again to have Cal on the show. Uh, so Cal Bruton, welcome to the More Than A Game podcast. Yeah, thank you, David. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. Really appreciate your time, mate. And um, yeah, appreciate all that you've done in the sport, which we'll come to in just a moment. Love to hear your story. But before we do, uh, you may have heard the news recently of the uh, Boomers team that's been picked for the 2020 or 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Uh, just keen to get your thoughts on it, um, as I know that you follow it well and um, know that I've been around the sport for so long and it looks like such a great squad, probably the best we've ever had in uh, the Australian Boomers program. Um, ben Simmons is there and uh, Matthias Thibel from the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. What are your thoughts around... Um, the Boomers and their chances of winning the gold medal at the upcoming Olympics? Well, this is obviously probably their best chance ever, you know, with um, with all the talent that's available, you know, and all the experience that mm. they've had before them. Uh, they've been very successful um, without getting a medal, really, you know, and of course their last couple of, uh, of uh, internationals, they, they came very, really close. So, I would say they're chomping at the bit, you know, on the new coaching now with Brian Gorge in there and um, guys pretty hungry to, to be a part of that historical moment of breaking that drought and getting the medal. Um, mm. I think it's fantastic. Uh, they're very deep, um, you know, and obviously having NBA players available, mm. you know, like you mentioned, the Simmons, the Patty Mills, the Delva Dovas, Joe Ingles, you know, Aaron Baines. Mm. All those guys carry uh, uh, a very good reputation for not only internationally, but in the USA. So mm. I think this is going to be a very, very good opportunity uh, to take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. So fingers crossed. Let's see how we go. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Again, as I said, everything you've done in the sport. And um, But first, before we dive into your story a bit more, congratulations on the uh, Order of Australia. It must have been a great honour to receive that. How did that come about for you? Oh, well, I received a letter a few months back to say that I was being considered. Um, someone nominated me. Um, uh, I was told from the university and uh, from one of the universities and, and uh, gave me a rap. And, and apparently, um, you know, having consulted with someone that knew that person, they said that uh, all he did was pull the trigger. He said, my body of work took care of the rest. And I'm, I'm honored and um, humbled 
Uh, I know that I, I definitely, you know, because I don't call it work, it's, it's my love, you know, my first love, beside, well, my second love, beside my kids, you yeah. know, my family. But I've traveled to every state and territory in Australia. I've gone to many, many indigenous communities uh, in those state and territories. Uh, I enjoy seeing people of color because, as you know, like, you know, we, we're, we're not a large number. So yeah. you know, I always try to make a point of, of saying to them that I come from a predominantly black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And to come to Australia was a bit of a challenge, and and to be able to achieve this ultimate, you know, award um, or honor, uh, OAM, uh, gives me the, I guess, some sort of credits of what I I put in, and I know mm -hmm. it wasn't any lack of effort on my part. I, again, I dragged my family around with me. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I played and coached throughout the country as well, pretty much, and and states and. And it's, it's encouraged my kids to go do the same. So, you know, I feel this uh, is important, a pretty good part of my legacy for my family in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've just received today, actually, um, from the, uh, the the minister and our uh, local minister here, uh, and from the governor general, my certificate. Oh, being honored. So the actual official day is May the eighth which okay. I actually go in with my suit on and, <laughs> and, and get my little badge. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations, mate. It's a, a tremendous honor for yourself. And part of the work you've been doing, as you mentioned, has been with the organization Charity Bounce. And uh, that was part of the reason I was keen to get you on the podcast to chat about uh, the work they do. I've only recently discovered the organization, but as I've dived into what they do, they do so much good in the community, particularly with young people and indigenous, indigenous communities, as you said. Um, there's, great, there's a number of great former players involved. Um, I saw Ben Madgen and a few others on the, um, the books there. But um, can you profile a bit about Charity Bounce and, and the, the great work that they do and your role with the organisation? Well, I don't actually have a role at, at this point in time. I've, um, I was a uh, director of coaching, pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, I travelled to the... Uh, Alice Springs and in Sydney and throughout New South Wales, uh, doing programs with them, mm. and um, and <clears throat> in doing so, you know they again you, you called it out. They do great work in in trying to assist the indigenous communities with pathways, you know, to to health and also sport. Um, I've been involved with mainly the coaching side of getting the kids into the fundamental trainings and. And, uh, and then going on the trips with the team bonding with a few of the athletes you mentioned. Uh, Kevin White was another one I uh, was involved with, a few of the, the young ladies as well uh, that played in WNBL. So it's been a rewarding sort of uh, vehicle, if you like, to, to reach out to those communities. Um, I've been doing it probably, you know, with, uh, with Ian and, uh, for about, oh, two years two and a half years and then um uh, tracy williams came on board and pretty much replaced my role there the former Harlem globetrotter so he's been doing a lot of work in sydney um my bruton basketball um organization is is probably taking that baton prior and after and during you know and going to all those places um uh, uh, delivering you know basketball clinics and and just recently uh I'll be able to speak more on it in a couple of weeks, but um, I've established the, the Bruton Basketball uh, Foundation, which uh, we hope to 
to have uh, a launching um, ceremony here soon. So that's kind of, you know, still coming together in the final pieces of, of putting out our plan, but we have a brilliant board and um, I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Charity Bounce has been a wonderful initiation uh, for a lot of young coaches and what have you that don't understand the plight of the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And mm-hmm. it definitely gives you a good eye opener as to what can be done and how you can contribute. And yeah, I uh, acknowledge that, you know, they do work that a lot of people don't want to do, you know, and, uh, and I've always been proud to, to go in those communities. I've been doing this since 1988, you know, under Kerry Stokes's banner. You know, he had me go into the Kimberleys and the Pilbara. And from there, I just took it. I just enjoyed it because, as I said, I, I saw a lot more people of color than I had seen since I left New York, <laughs> you know. So yeah. so it was a pleasure to just go into those communities. The kids knew me from seeing me on TV and what have you. And uh, it's just become a passion, you know, to, to try to help one. And Patty Mills was one of the young kids that I coached from the time he was 12 years old here in Canberra. Wow. Yeah. Many of them, I've touched. Danny Morsu was the first uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander NBL champion, and I brought him into my program in Geelong back in the mid '80s, and uh, and helped him recover from a, to a horrific knee injury, and and got him on to our program and helped him adjust to a backcourt position, which led him into the 1984 Olympics. So in LA. Mm-hmm. So I wish I could have joined them. I thought that was going to be a little partnership there, but my eligibility didn't come through at that point. So I had to wait another couple of years and, and represent the U- Australia at the world championships. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud of the work that um, uh, Charity Bounce does. And I was happy to have my time with them and, um, and look forward to continuing in that vein. I'm sure they do too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you mentioned Paddy Mills there, and that must be part of the reward and satisfaction from the program, seeing these sort of guys come through and have these aspirations, and then to see him make it in particular must, yeah, um, fulfil you and give you that sense of satis- satisfaction for all the work that you do do. Oh, yeah, no question about it. You know, I mean, um, you know, when he was just coming through, I used to invite him to the camera cannons trainings, and, and the guys used to get a bit of a buzz while I play them one-on-one while they're doing their stretching, so... You know, I couldn't let a young, at that time, he's probably 14. I couldn't let him beat me in a game, you know. <laughs> I still had game, and I had a reputation to look at. So. But I um, I also supported him. I went into the car industry, and I used to supply him with cars and make him feel good when he came back from college. So he felt like a person of uh, of respect, you know. And um, and he, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, he went on to do some great things, and now he's one of the, you know, uh, only Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander player to be in the NBA at this stage. Uh, Nathan Jawa was the first, and and then he's just taken the baton and ran with it for ten years now. So so it's a credit to him in the, in the amount of work and effort uh, under Pop uh, Popovich's banner in the San Antonio Spurs, which was actually one of the teams I I trialed for when I was going out for the NBA and, oh, yeah. and played games and exhibition seasons, and so that was in, back in 1977. Mm. So um, I just look at the scrapbook every now and then, reminisce. <laughs> That's as close as I came, though. But it was pretty good, and it was yeah. a pretty good opportunity, and it kind of opened the door for me to keep going because I felt I was close. Mm. And back then, there were some top guards around the place, you know. And uh, and through my second trial, then I had an opportunity to 
to uh, come to Australia because someone saw me at that trial and thought that I'll be pretty good over here. So, uh, yeah, it all worked out. But, yeah, credit to Patty and all the young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players that's following him and, and the work he's doing to try to extend that that uh, group of players to, to play in the league. Absolutely. It'd be great to see more Indigenous Australians in the league um, in the NBL hopefully soon. So... Um, just quickly, just around your own organisation or, or business that you spe- spoke about, uh, Cal Bruton Basketball, um, you're quick to point out the slogan, uh, which is also more than the game, so, uh, which is very cool. Uh, but why is basketball more than the game uh, for you, if I can ask you that question? Well, as I mentioned, the word vehicle, you know, I think, uh, you know, for a young person that's looking to... Uh, succeed at a sport that you can actually work on your game all by yourself as you know other sports require you to have someone with you like baseball or football or AFL or rugby mm. you know you can work on some skills but you can't work on as many skills as you can with a basketball and a goal and yourself so you know it's been more than a game for me because um, you know as my grandson put it it's given me a, a base to work on an acronym you know and uh and he presented it to me when he was like 12 years old, oh, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was basically our name, our, our surname. And it was about being kind to others. And I think that's what basketball gives you, that teamwork type concept where you can create opportunities for others and, and make your teammates look good and feel good. And, and, that, and that way you're being kind to them. And the respect, the respect you learn from just the opposition, from the game, from the referees, from the coaches, you know, you learn that word in more ways than one. And the you was to use your matters, you know. Mm. It'll take you a long way, as you talked about initially opening the podcast in life, you know, when you're polite and, and you understand how to say yes, please, thank you, excuse me, pardon. All those things will help you along the way in your journey. And the trust in God, well, you know, my, my family is, is Christian and they believe and supporting a man up above, and we always feel good things come to those that do so. Uh, the O was probably one of the big ones that I was very surprised when my grandson said. He said, Papa, you got to own your mistakes. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I made a few. <laughs> I said, and I did own up to them. And that's how I learned to, to grow, and probably indicative of, of me being able to receive that wonderful award last week. And, um, and the end was the was the blessing when he came to me and said, you know, uh, Dad, talking about CJ, uh, has said to to him that, you know, your pop, one thing about him, he never gives up. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so, and I always felt, you know, I've been hammered from pillar to post. Uh, you know, I've had the rug pull out from underneath me a few times, you know. I've, I've slept on floors. I've, uh, I've had to get up 4 o'clock in the morning and unload trucks you know this is after i've been a championship player winning coach and mm-hmm. you know all and i had to jump on the posty bike and deliver the mail but i always felt that the through that little journey it was gonna always be something on the other side so each job i just did it the best i could i'm the best possible person i can be and uh, i felt basketball was always at front of mind because you know i can pass those experiences on to the future basketballers and uh and get to mm-hmm. understand that teamwork makes the dream work and uh, you just gather yourself a good group of people and put them around you and you can make some good things happen. So, so I'm um, very proud to, to use that vehicle. Um, and that's why it's more than a game because, you know, uh, it's, it supplies you with not only the sport as a skill set, 
but you also have uh, your health. You, you have a healthy lifestyle in order to play it. You can't play basketball at a frantic pace and not be healthy, you know? It's also giving you the education, which is something I pride my family on and, and my kids uh, that, you know, you learn each and every step of the way while you're playing. And you also um, have employment opportunities out of the basketball. As you know, there's so many jobs and so many different platforms you can get into basketball from the coaching to the managing to the refereeing to, you know, the off-court stuff is the marketing and uh, the IT, you know, digital work. There's so many things you can get yourself into by just playing the sport. So mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm proud I chose it. I played others. I was a, I was drafted out of base, by the Major League Baseball team um, out, of, out of high school, um, college. I was going to play gridiron football as a quarterback, but I looked at the size of a few of them dudes. And I said, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. But yeah, no, basketball has just been definitely more than a game in so many ways. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. You said it well, I love that quote, teamwork makes the dream work. It was really cool. And I think when I reflect on my time playing the sport, the reason I called the podcast that is because, yes, it is a game at the end of the day when you're playing for competition, if you lose a grand final or whatever, you know, it's more, um, I guess, important things going on in the world. But I guess, you know, I've learned a lot of virtues around life and leadership, hence the podcast through the sport, like teamwork, uh, resilience, determination. Uh, there are so many things that I can apply to my life today, hence the name more than the game. So with that in mind, is there one key thing that you've learned from the sport that you always seek to apply to your life today? Yes, um, I would say my pride. You know, no matter what anyone tried to do to me or Mm. My pride was always on the line. I, I mm. used the, again, strong with acronyms. Mm. I pack my pride suitcase wherever I go. <laughs> and, and that's where if I'm working in a primary school trying to work with some young kids, you know, I have my pride suitcase with me. I, I'm a persevere to mm. whatever happens there. I'm a, again, show the respect and the resilience, as you say. Um, I'm going to try mm. to always uh, be influential, you know, and in that way, you you bring your positive set of mind. You know, you you know you you can you can be negative. It's very easy to be that way. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I noticed on my feed when the word came out that I received the OAM, everyone was talking about what a positive influence I've been. You know, each and every person I meet, you know, I, mm-hmm. I greet them with a smile. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. put a smile on your dial, even if you're hurting. You can disguise all that stuff when you when you're smiling. You know, so mm-hmm. and I think. The D in pride uh, gave me my pillars of strength. You know, I was determined, you know, that you just can't, you know, you just can't knock me out of the box like that. You know, so mm. I was dedicated, you know, being five foot eight with my shoes off, you know, and I had to go up against all these tough guys and big guys and talented gentlemen that played the sport, you know, as if, you know, their life depended on it. You know, I come out the other end being a Hall of Famer, you know, mm. so... Mm and leading the score and leading the assists and I perfected my craft. So I was dedicated. Mm. Um, I also had the desire, you know, I, I coined the phrase run, stun and have some fun. <laughs> cool. And I don't think that you can do much in life if you're not having fun at it, you know, yeah, or you're not going to be a long lasting person if you're not happy, you know, doing what you do. Mm. And I think the last thing is that preparation, I said dedication, but preparation, the effort, mm. I don't think anyone could put in more effort than I did. I, I was on the track six o'clock in the morning, 
when I was 40 years old mm -hmm. uh, with a stopwatch in my hand, running 400s and, and 200s and 100s under time so I can play with my sons. You know, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be on the court with CJ. I wanted to be on the court with Elliot and Austin. And that that was my pride suitcase. And I wanted to let them know that they can do this too. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm proud to say my two two of my boys, um, CJ and Elliot went uh, CJ and Austin, I'm sorry, went to the States and won national championships mm -hmm. um in the junior college system in America, the NCAA. Mm -hmm. And Elliot has been here working with me for a lot majority of time and he's been coaching kids all over the country and he's played on state teams wherever we live mm. you know? so so yeah really really prideful you know mm. you, you gotta you gotta pack your pride suitcase and that's what i would hang my hat on every day of the week mm. that's very cool and you mentioned cj there i'll touch on cj in a moment but just to dive back into the early days of um your career there you mentioned how you played college and then came out to Australia, um, 1979 was it? Played for the right. Brisbane Bullets. Right. Yes. Um, what was the league like back then? If I can ask that, I mean, today it's obviously a very professional league and it's growing and booming, uh, which is great. Um, but in those early days, I can imagine there was a bit of you know um, teething problems trying to get it up and running. It wasn't as established as maybe the uh, the rugby league, AFL, those sort of codes. Um, so, what was the league like back then and playing in that era when it was first starting out? Well, there wasn't a lot of uh, paid employees around the place, you know. It was a lot of volunteers. And it was the first year of the league in 79. Um, most of the teams played out of the tin shed era where you know, it was a two-court stadium. And in Brisbane's case, uh, court two had a barbecue going on, blowing <laughs> smoke on the court one. You know? <laughs> so that was kind of uh, different from the way I was used to, coming from just playing mm -hmm. in the – NBA and playing in this New Orleans Superdome and then, yeah, yeah. then you're in a tin shed. So it's been, <laughs> but you know what? The basketball court is still 10 feet high and the court is still 94 by 54. Mm. And I just felt that, you know what? I'm going to make the most of this situation. And the beauty about it is that, you know, most of the players have worked during the day and I was doing a schools program under Dr. David Atkins. I had to cover the schools and demonstrate the basketball skills. And that's usually in the morning. Mm. So in the afternoon, I was able to go into the gym mm. and just shoot and work on my game. And I remember bringing out this 10 foot ladder that they had there. And I used to make my moves and shoot over the ladder, you know, cause I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know who was who in the NBL at that point, but mm. I just knew that I was going to be bringing it every game. And of course, David Atkins kind of, kind of threatened me that, I needed to score a lot of buckets. And if I couldn't score, he might have to go find someone else. <laughs> so, so I became a uh, rooting, tooting, Calvin Bruton, do the whole shoot. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. I averaged 30, what, 33 a game pretty much that first year uh, with 40, um, 40 minute clock, mm. you know, with everybody coming after me, <laughs> you know, like mm. um, every time I arrive in town and headlines of the papers, uh, Here's the brilliant Negro God. Here's Black Magic. Here's Black Flash. You know, <laughs> then finally the Black Pearl came about. I kind of like that. So, was, you know, I went and got me a chain made up with, <laughs> with a little Black Pearl on it. You know, so, awesome. so um, yeah, the game grew. It was a very much a, well, it had 10 teams. It's got 10 teams, got more teams than it has now in the league. Hopefully, well, Tasmania's coming in next year to make the team. Mm -hmm. But our next year, I moved to Geelong because mm. they offered me to bring my family back mm. and two of my mates that can play. And 
of course, in Victoria, they had Nutter Wadding and the uh, St. Kilda Saints, who were two of the top teams in the National League. And then Coburg Giants came in and Frankston Bears. And, and before you knew it, Melbourne Tigers. So before you knew it, you had all the Victorian teams that were tough. You know, they had tough players. You know, mm. they, everyone had two imports except Melbourne had, or we had three. And Melbourne had five, <laughs> you know. Andrew Gaines had the opportunity of playing with five, five other Americans. So that's how his game, I think, progressed so yeah. quickly. But it was a tough competition. So the VBA was probably as tough as the NBL, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was able to become a player coach. So I got really involved in the game and, you know, the scouting and the preparation. And back then, all the players had to work you know, nine to five jobs and then come to practice after that. So, you know, a lot of guys train twice a week for three hours. I, I couldn't, I couldn't hack it when I was the player going to the job. So I just changed it from training twice a week for three hours each session to one hour, five days a week. Mm-hmm. And two of those hours would be on the track. So we actually go on a physical running track and we'll run the, the mile run, then we'll do the relays, and then we'll do the sprints, and wow. got my team in really good shape, and we won 15 straight games, you know, my first year in the NBL with Geelong. So I was pretty proud to be a part of that very foundation, um, what could I call it, foundation growth of the NBL, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, at one point it had 17 teams. They had to break it into two divisions, the East and the West. Mm-hmm. And it was tough, you know, like you, you had a team like Owen Wells and they had four Americans. They were the first team that had four black Americans. And, and what came about then was that, you know, every time Herb McKeaton was the first black American I played against. Mm-hmm. And that was the very first game. And he's one of my best friends. And uh, I said to him, I said, you see anyone else around here, man? And he goes, no, nah, I just arrived too. <laughs> <laughs> And then we played each other in the second last game of the year. I said, did you see anybody? He said, nah, man, it's just us. <laughs> so, so that was kind of an interesting type. But then every year after that, they brought out Americans to match up with us. Yeah, Before yeah. you know it, we had a black American community playing basketball here, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Benny Lewis's, the Al Green's, the, the late Norman Taylor, uh, you know, mm. Mike, Mike Jones. I can waddle off a whole bunch of guys, you know. And, of course, if you look at that Hall of Fame list, you know, for the NBL, you'll see uh, quite a number of black Americans in there. So so very proud to be one of the first um, to watch, to help basketball grow. I think we all had our hand in trying to teach the game to not only our teammates, but also in the communities and going to the schools and and to this day, I still do that. You know, and I'm, I've been here 42 years, you know, so uh, I just started a primary school program, you know, that I, I still go to. So the kids look up to me, but I'll bring the goals down so I can go dunk on them and stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the fun part, you know, and I think NBL, like you mentioned, is very professional now. And uh, uh, at the same time, you know, I hate for to hear when they say, oh, this is the best down and all that. You know what? I've had a couple of years in the league where, where there, there's some teams there that were very, very good. Adelaide 36s, uh, coached by Ken Cole. Um, uh, there was a Sydney Supersonics coached by. These are some tough, tough teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, 
you can't compare errors, obviously, too closely. But, you know, in my own mind, I would put the teams I played on match up with these teams any day, <laughs> you know. So I'll just leave it at that for the, <laughs> for the ones that want to argue that point a little further. <laughs> I think what you mentioned about the players coming out here from the States and the imports, it's really, I think, uh, been beneficial for this sport in Australia too because, as you said, there's so many that have made their lives over here and they've had kids and they've been brought up in Australia like your own, CJ, and um, Benny Lewis, as you mentioned, another one coming through. So many of them played in the NBL and now they're Australians and I think we're reaping the benefits of that. Ben Simmons, another one. Mm. Um, so in terms of um, imports coming out here, it's obviously a great destination for, um, I guess, uh, those who probably just can't make the NBA or kids coming out of college. Uh, do you have much of an inclination of what the um, uh, what is said about the NBL over there and the impression of the NBL in the States? Um, you know, obviously, the, the news media, the social media, um, the connection now with summer leagues for all the NBA, NBL players and coaches, um, the Larry Kesselman's move to to actually have our NBL teams go play against the mm. NBA teams in preseasons. You know, we got a pretty good rap. Um, you know, the going phrase is, you know, that we're the second best league in the world. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm not one to compare, you know, that. But, you know, not – I played in Europe, um, and I find the European players very, very good and fundamentally sound. But, you know, we're having up with nine – 10 maybe players in the NBA is a credit to our small population and what we do here. Mm. Our girls is just off the charts is to, in terms of being the, the best in the world. You know, we've mm. produced, you know, mm. wonderful players and Lauren Jackson. And of course, look with Sandy Brondello, who was one of my students in, in Brizzy well, shooting yeah. over the ladders, the 10 foot ladders, and, you know, she worked out with me many a time. So yeah. I, I believe that yes, we do have a strong reputation, particularly, having the AIS or the COE as it's called now, uh, the NBA Global Academy, um, and every single player. I still get male guys asking me, could, could you get me on the squad? Could you help a, help a brother out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> they want to go play. And we got NBL one and mm. we got the state leagues. And so I believe that we do have uh, a wonderful system, you know, in the club and associations. So kids can stop playing at an early age uh, in Aussie hoops and mm. coming through that to playing in a local league and then representing their state and then mm. on to representing the country if they're really good enough. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yes, I can see us being the second best league in the world. But at the same time, you know, I think that'll come out in August when we win a medal <laughs> that we can really claim our place. But. Um, yes, I'm very proud of all the Australians that have gone on to, to raise the bar. And uh, I know when I came here, there was no NBA players, you know. And, and Luke Longley uh, and Andrew Vlaha were two players that I tried to keep in Perth when I received the job uh, opportunity from Bob Williams in 1986. And they said they were going to New Mexico and Stanford respectively. And I thought, oh man, that's okay. okay well, you, you're going to miss out. But then both of them come back and represent the country, you know, mm -hmm. at a high level. Matter of fact, uh, they came back and knocked me out of the Australian team <laughs> when I looked at it, you know, in 88, <laughs> you know, when right. uh, 
you had their best finish ever or something. So you can't mm. argue with that success. But yeah, I'm really, really uh, proud of Australian basketball and where we, where is I know it started, and where we're sitting in the in the sphere of things right now. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool to hear. Hopefully, we do get to that level and be the second best league in the world. Would be fantastic. Uh, you mentioned. Perth there, you actually won the championship, their first ever, or part of the first ever championship of the Perth Wildcats, 1990. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, it was an honour to be part of the early stage of the NBL and, and be part of the uh, reputation that was built. What about the Perth Wildcats winning their first championship, uh, being a part of that organisation and very much setting the, I guess, the standard for what is today one of the world's premier sporting organisations, arguably, but... Uh, what, that, what was that experience like coaching um, uh, the Perth Wildcats to their first championship? It was fantastic. It was, a, it was a wonderful challenge. You know, they had never had a winning season when I arrived there. And uh, wow. Bob Williams, who was a, a yachting, and he's a, he, was a builder, he was a builder. He had his own construction company. Mm. But he loved the water. He loved the yachts. You know, the Sydney Hobart race, he was always in it. But he asked me just flat out if I can – put a team together that can win the chip, you know? And he had seen me lose the championship against the Adelaide 36ers whilst I was playing for the Brisbane Bullets. Mm-hmm. So it came down to King Cole and I getting that job there and, um, and Bob chose me. So I was pretty mm-hmm. happy to come in and build a team. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a, a check, hundred grand, and said, uh, put a team together. And as you know, uh, a hundred grand is not even enough for one play these days. <laughs> so that's more 1987 trying to put a team together. As I mentioned, we still had a lot of players working full time and then coming to practice afterwards. So um, I said, yes, I can do it. And I immediately got on the phone to the players. I knew I was able to get James Crawford, who I played with in Geelong and brought out here. And he had, he had gone through a knee injury and I had actually stuck with him and, we worked him back like we did Danny Marceau because we had a brilliant off-court conditioning and health health team there. Um, and then I brought Tiny Pinder, uh, who I needed someone big and strong, but Roland Bruce was in the mix, who I really like. He had played the year before, and he was one of the highest jumpers in Australian basketball history. This guy was just wow. great. And then I uh, took my old teammate that I played with in Brisbane, uh, Dan Hickett who was a naturalized Australian. He was six foot 10 and you could stand in the middle. But Steve Davis from Frankston came across and he was a very good player. And then we signed all the locals pretty much back again. You know, Mike Ellis was the captain and uh, Alan Black was there and Eric Watterson, and Trevor Torrance. So we had a pretty good nucleus of young players, but they, in my opinion, they didn't know how to win because mm-hmm. they hadn't won, you know? And, uh, and I was used to winning. You know, I had won two BBA championships, a Seville championship, the NBL championship. You know, I was like, sure, I'm about winning. Let's, let's go, you know. <laughs> so so I got the guys again. My favorite thing to take them on the track. <laughs> let's get the state, you know. Found out who was fast. And that's when the run stun and have some fun. Goes. All them dudes got outrun me to Tiny, James, Trevor, <laughs> Tyrus. They were quick dudes, you know. Like mm. Craig Fitzsimmons. Uh, you know, we had a really nice team. I brought in James Jackson, one of the brothers. He couldn't play with us. Mm. He was in Minnesota playing college basketball, was one mm. of the top players. He had moved here, and I had played against him in Brisbane. Mm. And, man, he was a tough guy, but he was living in Perth. So I said, even if you don't play, you can be in our training squad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so he was in there 
making sure Tiny and James was honest. <laughs> you know, so yeah. so we pushed through. We you know we went on to uh, finish off in the grand final. Mm. Uh, we lost it to Brisbane, my old team, which was really disappointing. You know, mm. but mm. but the next year we um, we progressed. Uh, uh, we we played in the semi. We finished. I think we finished. Um, or something like that, but we went on to finish in the semis. And North Melbourne Giants was our nemesis. Mm-hmm. Became our nemesis. They they bumped us off in the best of three. And then we went the next year. Uh, Bob Williams and Kerry Stokes asked me to step down as coach, and um, uh, because they felt I was a player coach, too much pressure. So I became a player general manager. They elevated me to the general manager's role, so I can actually build the team. Whereas I brought in Paul Kuiper and also wanted us to get stronger off the court. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'd like to think the, uh, uh, the Perth Wildcats business side really took hold in that we, we went to the States after I met Magic Johnson and Jerry West, and they invited me to bring the team over to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I packed it, you know, came back, told Bob and Kerry that I have this opportunity. Uh, they want to back and support it. And, they said, yeah, we'd like to do that. Players had to pay a little nominal fee, and bang, off we went to to Hawaii. And uh, it was fabulous, you know. It was uh, we, we landed there. We watched the Lakers, who were on their way to a back-to-back, watched them prepare, wow. got a chance to sit down with Mitch Kupchak and Jerry West and how they run the off-court side. So that was me. Mm-hmm. But after the third day, my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. So I was on my way to the States. My little sister's wedding, probably the saddest part of my, my life at that point, I had to mm-hmm. bury my mom and then get my sister off on her wedding and her new life and then come back to the team, which now is being coached by Alan Black. So uh, we've changed the whole uh, dynamics, uh, the way it was going to be run. So now I'm coming in as a player, and I wanted to be that player that, that listened to the coach and everything he said so I could be that example. And then I put my hat on and be the general manager and sit down with these guys and say, yo, now we want to make sure that you looked after off the court as well. You know, and uh, we, we, we were able to secure million dollar contracts that I was signing up, which I, I was really proud of that. And, mm-hmm. and then um, we brought Mitch Kupchak and Michael Cooper to, to Perth. So Mitch can help us uh, put our off court. Mm-hmm. And Michael helped us with our defense, Michael Cooper. As you know, he was renowned for his defensive play. And it took us two more years. So in 1990, we won the first championship after I came back in mm-hmm. to take over from Alan Black. Um, Bob and Kerry made a decision, what they call their business decision, and sacked Alan Black and then told me on the day, that, did you bring your sneakers? No, I've got my suit on. Like, I'm <laughs> you know, well, we need you to come – down to training today while we tell the team that, you know, and of course the word was out, Alan had already told all the guys and, you know, needless to say, he wasn't very happy about it, but you know, the the owners made that decision that the team wasn't going to be able to go the next step. And they asked me to go in there and then we had our bumpy road too, but but we were able to to come through in the end and and win the chip. So that was the first one. Of course, uh, I went and recruited Ricky Grace and brought him back. And, mm-hmm. and now um, we have Pete Hansen, who became a naturalized Australian play with us the second year. Mm-hmm. I was the general manager for the next seven months. I probably, in hindsight, maybe should have stayed on as the GM to see it through. But 
you know, my passion was to coach, and I really wanted to coach then. Mm-hmm. I thought it was unfair. I didn't get a chance to at least defend the title, and I actually mm-hmm. put it to the owners that, okay, give me a chance to defend it. If we don't win it again, then you can go get Pat Riley for all I care. <laughs> but give me a chance, and they, they wouldn't do it. Uh, so that was kind of – Bob wanted to do it. Kerry, not so much. So that was kind of, you know, a little tug of war there. But Bob was was having trouble with his business, so Kerry was really taking ownership of the team. So, uh, you know, he called the shot. And um, I stayed on as GM until Hobart rang me to say that there was a coaching opportunity. There was a uh, ownership opportunity there as well, uh, if I would be interested. Mm-hmm. And it kind of perked my interest because I came to Perth when they were near the bottom, on the bottom. And, now I'm going to Hobart and they're on the bottom. So it seems like the only opportunities available to me is when you're on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Work your way up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you, you got to have resources. You got to have support in order to make those things happen. So mm. it was definitely a team effort. You know, it wasn't about me and what I was able to do, but I felt I was a catalyst behind just just pressing buttons and, and trying to put people in the right positions to succeed. And as it turned out, Perth won the back-to-back mm. with Murray Arnold coming in. And then they was on to their next era, but they, they lost that year, I think, and they replaced him with Adrian Hurley. And then my son CJ came in under that regime. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I was really proud of what we were able to achieve in Perth. And to see them now with 10 championships, as you mentioned, one of the most successful franchises in the world, um, knowing that I was a part of that foundation uh, makes me feel pretty proud. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, from there, you went to Hobart, as you said. When I started following the league, you were at Canberra and coaching your son, CJ, there, Canberra Cannons. Um, but obviously, um, there's a lot of highs in sport, in professional sport. There's a lot of lows. And I guess the folding of the Canberra Cannons was one of those. But you're also a part, and some people probably don't remember this, but I do, because uh, I was a West Sydney Razorbacks fan. You actually came and, and coached them for a period of time and you know, just before they folded, pretty much. So... Uh, what were those experiences no, like? There's been, yeah. That, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll cut you off there. Yeah. Um, and no, the um, the Canberra Cannons one was very sad, you know, yeah. because um, massively. Mm. Yeah, we were. Um, I felt, and I felt we had to go. We had a team that could win the championship that year. Mm. I think the NBL made a boo boo, and they really didn't see it that way until they saw us coming home with a wet sail. And I believe they just purposely didn't want us to win, so they had to put an asterisk next to our name, get us get us out of there. You know, uh, I tried to buy the team to keep the team together. Yeah, I had right support, right. and the league wouldn't wouldn't give me the opportunity. You know, but they would give it to some guy which never had nothing to do with the league and mm. give him a chance, and that just really turned me off the basketball. I was probably again one of my saddest moments, but mm. we had a. Uh, a situation where the year before we finished near the bottom of the ladder. Mm. And I think we were second last and Cairns was last. So what the league tried to do to, to give us a little lift was that we were allowed three imports. Right. That's when I went to Michigan state to meet with magic and, and, uh, yeah. and Tom, Tom Izzo, the coach at Michigan state who had coached these, these young athletes, David Thomas, Mike Chappelle, and then I went and recruited a young man from Louisiana State, Reginald Poole. Mm-hmm. These three guys were athletes, all about six, seven, six, eight, mm-hmm. jump out of the gym, hit the outside shots, dunk on you in a flash, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And we became with CJ and Brendan Mann, who were national players, and also uh, uh, Brad Williams. And mm-hmm. uh, oh man, the, the team was just loaded with talent. And we worked hard. We were not. So we had to play Sydney, who they thought they were going to be the, the team to beat. Gordon was in there. And we slapped them up a few times, you know, in the preseason mm-hmm. and then on into the regular season. Mm-hmm. We then organized a bye in our schedule so we can go to the States and play against Michigan State. Uh, Michigan yeah. State. It's Magic played him, wasn't it? Magic yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember that game. Yeah. And that was a huge game. And I was uh, explaining the Magic our situation. Mm. So interesting that a few of the owners were flying over too because they wanted to make sure that, you know, they were a part of this even though behind the scene they were really ready to, to throw us under the bus, which they eventually did, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was, like I said, it was really sad. I actually went up to a meeting in the Gold Coast to beg those guys, give me a chance. Just give me a chance to do it. They wouldn't even let me in the meeting initially, you know, and I don't want to call out any names, but mm-hmm. to this day, this dude was stopping me at every every point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of uh, – came back and I was really livid, you know, that, man, I, I paid my hard earned to put myself in this position. Mm. I paid dues and I can't get a chance from the league or from the guy who was running this league, so to speak. So, yeah. so we, we ended up folding. And, and then the team left to go to Newcastle mm. under some banner, the Hunters, yeah, which was mm. just ugly. Yeah. And, uh, Pirates. Terrible name. <laughs> yeah. Well, were, the dude was a pirate, too. The dude that yeah. was running it, you yeah. know, like, and he ended up slipping out of the country, owing the government millions and the whole bit. So I just thought, you know, it was a bad taste. Mm. And I really, at that point, had to get away from the game. I went into the car industry at that, you know, have not really having a choice. I didn't want to pack up and go to another club. But mm. they were ready to sell us to New Zealand before they gave us a chance to keep an iconic team here in, in Canberra. Mm. These two guys come rolling in talking about they just bought the team and for me to sort of don't say anything to the players, I'll talk to them about them packing up and coming to New Zealand next year. I said, mm. good luck with that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and eventually they did the right thing. They went and got their own team, you know, mm. Mm. put in. And, um, but yeah, well, the, um, the West Sydney situation was that, you know, the coach at the time you know, taking over from Gordy McLeod. Mm. Um, he, uh, I can't even think his name now. Mark Hawkins. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mark, I know okay, well. God bless. I should not forget Mark's name. Yeah. He's, he's been a stalwart of the game. Got to hear him on the podcast. Next <laughs> yeah, good on you. Yeah, yeah. But he, uh, you know, he had reached a point where the team was didn't hear his voice, and uh, I got the call from uh, the GM at the time asking me would I be interested to come down, and mm. I was just had a little born son. So I was like, well, and he said, well, please let us know we'd like you to be the guy to take us forward. Hmm. So I was commuting back and forth from Canberra, <laughs> you know, coaching West Sydney. And that year, uh, we struggled right out of the blocks. They had lost 9, 10, 11 straight from the jump. Hmm. And then I extended probably another five games. So we lost 15, 16 games in a row. Hmm. And that was disheartening, you know, hmm. to see. But then we started to come good. I shaped, we changed guys, changed their roles. And we beat Sydney Kings by 30 in the last game while they were ready for – they were preparing for the playoffs. You know? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we gave them a good touch-up. Mm-hmm. You know, so so in my mind, 
Man, that, that showed what we came for. Now let's get the right, get some imports in here. And now let's get going. But then they told me to put in a, a resume for the job. I said, what? A resume? <laughs> they said, yeah, we got new owners and they want to see your resume. I said, well, you can tell them, you know, I just did an audition flat out. If you don't, and go do your own research. <laughs> you know, like, so again, I'm always getting the opportunity for a bottom team. And if I take them to a good spot, they want to replace you with someone else. So yeah. uh, I felt that was a bit of a blacklash, you know, being one of the only black coaches in the league. Uh, mm. Didn't want me to get another start. So that was kind of a little discriminatory to me. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, I, I felt I needed to walk away from the game, you know. Uh, but I didn't walk away entirely. That's when I went to my kids, you know, because I think mm-hmm. the kids don't, don't have any of that in them. So I started coaching the junior kids and local clubs and That's running my little clinics and they brought the love back to me in, in the game, mm. just trying to build them up. So, mm. so that's been the challenge, but uh, West city, I, they, they went on under Rob beverage and folded. People still say to me, they'll cow coach these teams. And they folded. Well, Bill Tomlinson coached robot their last games and two years after. And, and of course, I think same with Rob beverage. He coached the West city, uh, mm-hmm. West stars until they, they finished. So, so yeah, that was my little role. And after that, I really didn't get any opportunities to, to coach again. So I thought, let me just try to get Cannons revived again. Mm-hmm. And then I can be behind the scenes and the managing st- side of it. St- but uh, we always ran into some hurdles there. Yeah, for sure. If there's a new team in the NBL coming up, hopefully it's in Canberra. That's my pick. I think it'd be great to have a team back down there. Would you get involved if uh, they, that did eventuate? Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. I felt always that, you know, Canberra's capital city is, is just a, a real, what do you call it? A uh, real blotch on the on the record books that not have mm. a team in the capital city, particularly. Yeah. You know, I heard someone say, oh, there's not enough talent. And, well, you got the NBA Global Academy here. You got Center of Excellence, the best young oh. kids in the country. In the mm. past, that's where Canberra used to recruit mm. all their players from, you know, their top two players would come right into the cannons and join in with the veterans. I have no doubt. we got coaches here. You know, uh, the, the head of the NBA Global Academy mm. is Marty Clark, you know, like yeah. I'm sure, and Adam Caporn, you know, mm. who's the interviewer for jobs. So you can't say we don't have coaching talent here as well. Right. Um, I believe um, there's an opportunity to to get corporate funding here too. You know, we got some, mm. some you know, strong international connections here through government and what have mm. you. So there's no reason why. I mean, our stadium is a little dilapidated at the AIS, you know. Mm. That would need some redoing. But, mm. you know, for the most part, I can't see no reason why there couldn't be mm. a professional team here, an NBL team here in Canberra. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I just finally made I could talk to you all day. So much to talk about. But um, I just want to touch on CJ. And obviously, you're a family man and the kids. And, um, yeah, it obviously would have been... Uh, hugely rewarding for yourself to see CJ reach the level that he did. Um, obviously, I'd love to touch on his career, but the key question I want to ask you about is, um, I guess as a dad, you know, with the success you've had and the time and the sport that you had, um, it can be so easy for, and you hear about it so often, that, um, you know, dads that may have made it in the league and their or any sport and their sons are coming through, there can be this pressure put on the kids to follow in their father's footsteps or their mother's footsteps. Um, were you aware of that pressure, um, not trying to pass it on to your kids, or was that something that you um, maybe in hindsight thought maybe I shouldn't have put the pressure on them as they're 
any thoughts around um, the importance of not putting pressure on your kids to, yeah, I guess, to follow in footsteps? Or I guess for myself with young children playing the sport, like I'm conscious of not trying to pressure them to play the sport as much as I'd love them to. Um, but, yeah, did you find that was an issue for you um, as they grew up? No, no, not at all. Now, they, they wanted to be around me, you know, and, yeah. you know, most of the time they were floor wipers, you know, during the <laughs> game. And, you know, CJ used to say to me, you know, doing a, doing a, a, a transition game, I'll hit the floor, he'll come up to wipe all the sweat, and he'll look at me, you need to pull your socks up. And I'll, <laughs> I'll look, and my socks are already up, you know. <laughs> this little six-year-old going to tell me to pull my socks, like, no, wait, lift your game. You know, like, <laughs> But um, no, he loved it. He loved it yeah. from day one. And you know, my whole thing was all about, you know, the love for the love of the game. Mm. Uh, I never, never, ever forced them to train, or but they saw me train. Yeah. So they'll come out and follow me and do things with me, you know. And uh, mm. and then in our young family, we used to play a lot of one on one. So I'll play CJ and Ellie to play Austin, and then we'll swap like a tennis, you know. And then and then we'll play the two on two, and and they learned a lot. You know, we used to try to. CJ was learning fast because he would play with Austin, the two youngest against the two oldest, and, mm. and we used to have fun trying to beat, you know, you know, <laughs> bulldoze him a little bit, you know, yeah, make yeah, him stronger. Yeah. But he was quick ass from a young age and, mm. and he mm. matured really fast, and he had a genuine love for the game, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and the, uh, a thirst for knowledge. Like he, uh, he took that right as you mentioned. Everything I did, he crushed. Right, you know, <laughs> six championships and yeah. you know, captain Australia, and yeah. uh, he's been a coach of the Boomers, assist, assistant mm. coach of the Boomers. Mm. He's coached at every level. You mm. know, he went left the country, played in New Zealand, mm. helped him raise the flag three straight times. You know, like he's mm. very, very proud of him, and he's got the three of the most gorgeous sons that made mm. me think of the three boys I brought, you know, the three I had early yeah. in the piece, you know. So, yeah. so no, he um, and Elliot and Austin have all and continue to put work into the basketball community. CJ obviously is just at the top of the tree, but he does so many other things on the high school level, the state league level, does the individual coaching. You know, he's always helping someone. We got a, a long line of people that we've just stood knowledge branch to and, and passed on their way. We got kids on scholarships in the U.S. You know, that we never talk about. You know, we just let, let it go. And that's why I felt it was important to establish this foundation so that things can become more forward. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, uh, uh, I'm very, really proud of my family and, and their contribution mm -hmm. to the game. Uh, mm -hmm. CJ reaching the point of being assistant coach for, for mm -hmm. the Australian team. I'm hoping that he gets a, a guernsey under the new look because he's put in and he's a clever mind. You know, he's, uh, he's a great scout. And he loves teaching the game. Uh, the players that play for him adore him, you know, and I just believe that uh, if given an opportunity, he can do some some real good things in a supporting role. Uh, and hopefully one day he will be a head coach, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so um, yeah, my son Austin is, is coaching at high school over in West Australia and helping those young kids with employment opportunities and stuff through his work. And Elliot is with the PCYC. He was with the Ty Tyree Tornadoes, but he's in the country so he's doing some fab fabulous things as well. So mm. really proud of that whole Bruton clan. My son Dante mm. and Brooklyn um, are now representing <coughs> ACT. Uh, they both play for me here. That's cool. I, I, I do push them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they both uh, 
Brooklyn is 17, Dante is 14. They're both playing under 19s. Mm. And, uh, and we went to the grand final and lost last year. They were devastated, you know. But I was like, I was proud. I was like, yo, you got here. <laughs> you uh, know, like, and it's a life lesson. You got, you got to learn how to lose before you can win sometimes, you know. That's right. So, so yeah, I'm really proud. My daughter, you know, she's mm. just there to support us. And mm. my wife, so, yeah, I'm, I'm keen. My grandson's going to be a pretty good player, uh, cool. CJ's older boy, Rio. Mm. So yeah, we we just we're dedicated to the game, and mm. I'm I'm proud to say that you know the NBL is giving me an opportunity to be on their rap working group. Mm. Uh, I've been mm. able to do some things with them to try to expand some indigenous opportunities. Uh, yeah, that's good. And uh, I I probably not to blow my own trumpet because you sound out of tune to your listeners. You know, <laughs> but, but I know that I've put in a lot in the in the communities and uh, mm. and seen some great kids mm. there. But unfortunately, the support system hasn't been there. And I, now the NBL are prepared to put that support system in place. Mm. So I'm kind of looking forward to being a part of that uh, in the not so distant future. That's fantastic. Good mate. It's a great legacy. I uh, really appreciate your time today, KL, and um, all the best for the future. But thank you for joining us on the More Than The Game podcast. Uh, thank you, Dan, and good luck with you more again. As I said, I, I got that. I wear it all the time, you know, yeah, on nice. my T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, mate. Take care. Uh, thank you. All right, bud. You too now.